Happy Father's Day! How are you all this morning? I, uh, I'm just assuming that everybody, since it's Father's Day, that uh, somebody got a new bass boat, somebody got a new truck for Father's Day, new... I mean, I did. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I didn't get a new truck. I didn't get a new boat either. I don't know what. Both of my kids have jobs, and I didn't get a new boat. I don't know what the deal is. All right. Well, guys, it's good to have you here. It's good to have the faithful men here, right? It's all those men that are camping that I'm preaching at this morning. Although, I really did. I feel kind of bad. I was telling somebody before service. Uh, you know, I, I prepare Father's Day messages for the fathers, knowing full well that all those who need to hear it are the ones that don't come. So, I expect you guys to listen intently, take copious notes, and then pass it along to those that need it, right? We used to have a joke in church about people who sit towards the front. Those are the people that metaphorically are, are, they have their shovels and all the good information, they're shoveling over their shoulder towards those in the back that need to hear it. Do you get it? Uh, anyway, it's old joke. Bad joke, evidently. <laughs> ah, it's good to see you. Men, I love you. I'm telling you that up front. And I have kind of a rant. I mean, a sermon prepared this morning. I'm going to rant a little bit, but I am going to get to Scripture here in a few minutes. Uh, men, we have a God-given responsibility. Pause for emphasis. Pause for an amen. Pause for, think about it. I don't know, pause. We have a God-given responsibility. You can ignore it. You can accomplish it poorly. Don't look around right now. But you cannot delegate your God-given responsibility. The role of a father in the family is unique and powerful. God never intended for fathers to act like mothers. Thank you, George. <laughs> Mothers have a unique role as well. Don't get me wrong. We celebrate Mother's Day first. We did that. So don't feel like I'm after women. I'm not. I have nothing to say to diminish women. Mothers have a unique role as well. And it is nothing like the Father. God never intended mothers to act like fathers either. God never intended for fathers to attempt, I stress the word attempt because it's impossible, that God never intended for fathers to attempt to surrender their influence over their children. You can't give it up. You influence one way or the other, good or bad. From my short existence, America and specifically the Christian church has never been more confused about the role and responsibility of men than it is today. Not just America as a society, but the church world is having an identity crisis when it comes to men. We have communicated to the last one, maybe two, we're starting into the third generation of men. We've communicated to them that they are unintelligent, childish, and unnecessary to the family. You don't believe it? Go to the movies, watch some TV. We are consistently communicating that men are unintelligent, childish, and unnecessary to the family. 
We have taught young men that, they, that their innate desire to conquer, to be assertive, to be powerful, to dream big and to go after those dreams is inappropriate behavior. We need to play it safe, not play it big. Instead of teaching young men to direct their energy toward worthwhile endeavors, we have told young men, you can't do that. Consequently, we have squelched the very characteristics that make young men manly. And then, surprisingly, we get frustrated when men do not act like men. Amen, Britt. That's true. Mm -hmm. That's good. We don't want them to be men growing up, but whenever they become adults, we want them to act like men. Make up your mind. Fathers, we are tasked with the responsibility of training up this generation of boys to be men who imitate and honor God by their actions and their attitudes. To imitate God and to honor God. We really could do a series on this because as I was going through my notes this morning, I'm thinking, I'm just cutting this so short of what we could do here, what we need to do here. This is not just talking about how I'm a Christian man. This is not just talking about how I'm a Christian, Christian father and referring my, to myself as a Christian father, but actually living out the godly principles the godly characteristics of being a, a godly father. Men, fathers, it is our responsibility to raise up this generation of young ladies to possess the ability to recognize a godly man. My son's responsible for his own actions, I've, whatever. I've, I've invested in him. He's going to do great. I'm fine with that. My greatest worry is that my daughter falls in love with a bozo. <laughs> so part of my job as a father is to get, teach her biblical, Christian, godly principles, but also how to recognize them in a man, because I want her to marry a man that will live godly principles. Are you with me? I don't want my daughter to marry dorkwad because i don't want to have to sit down with him and say listen buddy time for you to be a man where was your daddy <laughs> i already have some angst about this marriage thing with my kids i really do <laughs> hate the idea of it we have to raise our young boys to become godly men. We have to raise our daughters. Men, we do not get to abdicate the responsibility of raising our daughters. Well, she's a girl, so I'll let my wife take care of that. No, God made you the father, not your wife the father. You're the only one in her life that can teach her to recognize a godly man. Sorry, moms. God did that. I didn't. You can get mad at me all you want. It doesn't make any difference. Our responsibility is to raise godly men and to raise girls who can recognize godly men and appreciate God's distinctive roles of a, of a father and a mother in the family. Fathers, God has granted you with the task and the responsibility of guiding the steps of our children. Well, I always thought that was my wife's job. Be quiet and listen. 
guiding the steps of your children toward God is the most eternal and valuable thing you will ever do as a human, as a husband, as a father. There is no greater responsibility. Are you with me? So guiding our steps, that's my title. I use the word guiding because it's a little more palatable than the, you know, the Bible used this word discipline. That was my golf swing. But you know what I'm talking about because we have this, this uh, conflict in our culture of to discipline or not to discipline. Do we guide our children or do we not guide our children? Uh, 20 years ago, it was, let them be free to grow up as whatever they want to be. Let them have their freedom. Don't point them in any one direction. Oh, my goodness. Strap on your seatbelts. Here we go. Discipline refers, the scripture uses the word discipline. It refers not just to spanking kids, okay? That's not what this sermon is about. I want to qualify myself here. Discipline, spanking is, is a, the physical part of discipline has, is a small part of discipline, Okay, disciplining a child. So discipline refers to the instruction and motivation used to train a person in the way that they need to go. Does that make sense? Sometimes we talk about training tomato plants. Evidently, I never learned it. I kill tomato plants. Every year, I go to the nursery, purchase two tomato plants. They are sentenced to my backyard. <laughs> where they will start off green and happy. And then the late June summer sun comes, and they will shrivel and die. <laughs> it's just part of it in my yard. We train them. We point them. We, we take all those little branches, and you wrap them around the, the little wires so that they go a direction. You want them to grow up and grow out so that they're full and produce a lot of fruit, right? Because if you don't train your tomato plants, if you don't give them direction, they will lay down on the ground. Do you ever not do the little basket over your tomato plants? I did one year because I thought, that's unnecessary. Let's save $3. <laughs> My tomato plants die of something different every year. <laughs> they do. You train them. You give them something. You give them a direction to grow up and out. They produce more fruit when they're trained. That's discipline. Uh, so, we, so whenever I say discipline this morning, for the rest of my message, please stay with me. I am referring to the instruction and the motivation that is used to train a person in the way that they need to go. Discipline, hang on to your chairs because I'm fixing to offend most everybody, okay? I've enjoyed being pastor here at Desert Heights for the last 14 years. Discipline, listen carefully. Discipline as it pertains to raising children with godly character became taboo a couple of generations ago. We should not impose our faith beliefs on them. We should let them figure it out on their own. Don't point them in a direction. Let them just figure it out and they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. That's what we did. So it became taboo to tell children, this is the way you need to go. However, Watch this. Discipline as it pertains to athletics. (laughs) 
Discipline as it pertains to athletics became more important. So to tell your kid, listen, it is important for you to become a follower of Christ, that's not right. But to tell your kid, you will become a whatever ball player, that is perfectly acceptable. Something fell, along, fell apart somewhere along the way there. We do discipline our kids. Men, if you, if you miss everything, which you probably should, everything else that I'm about to say, it is, get this, you do influence your children. You can say, well, I'm kind of the hands-off uh, father approach. There's no such thing. Bad father approach, yes, but not hands-off. Oh, I'm just not around very much. You are training your child. You are. There's no way around it. I am getting away from my notes, and I just need to stick to my notes because I already got a rant going on. Discipline as it pertains to raising children with godly character became taboo. Raising children that we discipline towards athletics became more important. So forcing, I put that in quotes, forcing your child to go to church, to Sunday school, to learn about God once a week somehow became a bad thing. Well, you're forcing your religion on your kids. However, forcing, forcing your children to run laps, to lift weights, to participate in sports two or three hours a day, five or six days a week, that is perfect, perfectly admirable. Now, just stay with me in the context of society, and this doesn't just apply to athletics. We have a lot of little gods in our lives that we make more important than training up our child toward God. So athletics just becomes, is the big one for me to throw stones at, okay? There's lots of applications. I'm coming to a scripture here in a minute. So here's the deal. You do guide the steps of your children. You do. You cannot delegate that to someone else, men. Good or bad, there is no such thing as allowing your children to find their own way. They will follow in your footsteps. So, men, we have to pay attention to where our footsteps are leading them. They will follow, they will pick up your values they will follow your example. You will guide them necessarily. So my challenge to you this morning, kind of started at the end of my sermon and now we'll go back. My challenge to you this morning is, men, fathers, make a plan to be a father. Participate with your children and engage in actively guiding your children. I have, I have two points that makes you think it's going to be a short sermon. That would be a psych. Number one, here we go. It's in your bulletin. Guidance is wise. Guidance is wise. It really bothers me that we went through this whole thing with society of let your kids figure it out on their own. You know what? You put a bunch of six-year-olds in a room together, and do they come out acting like adults? No. They come out a bunch of three-year-olds. Three it's magic. Poor Sunday school teachers. <laughs> Bless their hearts. Guidance is wise. We need to guide. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, it's a book of one-liners of inspired wisdom. That's important. It is inspired. These are things that God saw as important to communicate to us. These are little tidbits of wisdom that God gives us. The Proverbs address the discipline or the instruction and motivation, the guidance of a child several times. 
Now, of all the things for the Proverbs, the wisdom literature to give us instruction on, disciplining children, not spanking them, disciplining them, motivating them, instructing them, is a topic that comes through all of the wisdom literature. So, we have Proverbs addressing the guidance of a child several, several times. And I'm going to start off with the one that's most frowned upon and questioned, right? We can, because we can question the Word of God, right? God, the Father, creator of all, He speaks and says this is the truth. And we have the right to say, I disagree. <laughs> and then you need to start back at Proverbs chapter 1 where we start with wisdom. <laughs> all right. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. The proverb that we like to question and frown about. I love that I hear pages turning. Here we go. Those who spare the rod of discipline. What's the word? Hate. <laughs> Hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Now we get, uh, unfortunately, we get all sideways about the rod of discipline. And we totally miss what's being said in the verse. The writer is contrasting the actions, listen carefully, look at the verse. The writer is contrasting the actions of a parent who hates their children with the actions of a parent who loves their children. I'm going to make a dramatic assumption that all of us parents here today, all of us fathers, fall in the category of we love our children. I'm going to assume that. I'm going to assume that no one here, no father, actively hates their kids. The writer is contrasting the actions of parents. One group of parents love their kids. The other group does not love their kids. They hate their, their kids. So fathers who love their children will care enough to instruct and motivate a child to live in the blessings and favor of God. Sorry, I was dropping the mic, but I didn't have a mic to drop. Are you with me? Fathers who love their children will care enough to instruct and motivate a child to live in the blessings and favor of God. Fathers who hate their children will not care enough. They'll be too busy with other things to guide their children toward God's favor. Now... I know that uh, some people think that spanking a child is abusive and, you know, you're going to kill them, especially with a paddle. So I put Proverbs 23, 13 in there to reassure you of what's going on here. Proverbs 23, 13, he says, don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Sorry for those of the, you that are paying attention here. I messed this up and it's bothering me. Okay, I fixed it. I feel bad tearing it up. Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment is not going to kill them. To my knowledge, no child has ever died from an appropriate spanking or an appropriate sit down and let's talk about where you're going in life and give them direction, instruction. No kid ever died from that. Nope. Meanwhile, hold on to your britches, here we go. No child has ever died as a, from an appropriate spanking. Meanwhile, sports-related injuries among children happen relatively often. <laughs> Over the fence. 
I know when my son was playing baseball, there was concern about uh, they're being very careful about how many pitches little kids throw because they can mess up their arm and their shoulder because they're, they're out there throwing balls and throwing balls and dad's saying you got to be the best pitcher ever in, in fourth grade. So they're throwing their arm until they blow out their arm and then they have problems for the rest of their lives. Huh. I know that they're keeping a close eye on little football players for signs of concussions because they're out there banging their heads together. <laughs> You understand my point. Athletics is more dangerous than training your child toward God. We will discipline them in athletics. We'll discipline them in academics. We will discipline them in their occupation. We will train their lives to go in a way that is socially acceptable. But whenever it comes to the kingdom of God and to eternal life, we say, oh, you shouldn't force religion on them. You know, you are training them to lay down on the ground spiritually and die. While some fear that discipline could cause death, the writer of what we call wisdom poetry is telling us that failure to discipline could cause death. Did you hear what I said? He said, well, Brent, Proverbs 23, 13 doesn't say that. I'm telling you, the writer of the wisdom poetry is telling us that failure to discipline your children could cause death, could bring death. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18 says, discipline your children while there's hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Now, the New Living Translation is a little soft there. It has failed me. If you don't discipline your children while there's time, you'll ruin their lives. That's not good enough. The ESV pulls out the big sword on this one. So, I gave you that translation too. Discipline your son, for there is hope. See the association between discipline and hope? Do not set your heart, parents, on putting your child to death. It's got awfully quiet. It's like, really? Is that what the Bible says? Where is that in my Bible? What? Discipline and hope go hand in hand. Isn't that cool? Discipline and hope. Discipline while there's time. Discipline while there's hope. Because as a father of two teenagers, I'm telling you, the time of discipline is waning. Is it waning? Going away? I think waning's right. I always get waxing and waning confused. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, there comes a time that you're not going to discipline your children. You've disciplined them all you have the opportunity. And if you haven't disciplined them while you had that opportunity, then there's no hope of disciplining them later. Right? I can only imagine what my dad, uh, you know, uh, after, after my 20s, he probably looked back and thought, oh, if only I could give Brent a little more discipline. <laughs> All the changes he would make. No discipline, the absence of discipline leads to tragedy, is what the Proverbs tells us. It is unclear here exactly what is meant, because this could be taken a couple of ways. Does lack of discipline lead to a parent wishing in their heart that they could put their child to death or that their child would die? Because I've been around, I've done enough counseling with parents to know that there are a lot of parents of teenagers who would like to kill their kids. 
Now, they wouldn't because there's laws against it. I've told you before, and I tell you again, whenever, before Diane and I started our family, the discussion was, I want to be careful how we raise our children so that when we have teenagers, I don't hate them, because I know too many people that hate their teenagers. So we need to discipline them, train them, instruct them, so that whenever they become young adults, we enjoy them, not hate them. Does lack of discipline lead a child down a road that leads to death? I think this verse could lead, mean either one of those. It could be taken either way. It really doesn't matter. The point is, the point is that if you fathers fail to discipline your children, to point them in a godly direction, if you fail to give them good, godly guidance, you will unnecessarily set them in a direction that leads to death. Guidance is wise. Discipline leads children toward life. Hopefully, your discipline as a father leads your children toward eternal life in Christ Jesus. Lack of guidance is not wise, and it leads to death. Now, here's a... I'm not saying that, that, that faith and Christianity is the only discipline for your children. If you want to discipline your children towards Christ, actually, you, you must discipline your children towards Christ. If you want to discipline your children in athletics and academics and all those other arenas of life, I say, great, that's important, go for it. But don't make a God out of those other things and sacrifice Christ. Okay? That's, there's the balance of all of this. So you're thinking, well, Brent, I, I don't know how or, or where to lead my children. I don't know how to be a godly father because a lot of us didn't necessarily have a great earthly father, right? So we have a hard time uh, being a good earthly father or trying to be a, a godly father when we didn't have a good earthly father. It's an excellent, excellent problem. Uh, we have a solution for that. So number two, here we go, guidance from God. Guidance from God. So God, guidance is wise, and, and we need guidance from God. And I like Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Go through several verses here. I'm going to take some time to unpack all of these verses. Uh, but I'm going to stay in Hebrews chapter 12 for a little while. I know some of you have been flip, flipping back and forth in your Bible trying to keep up with me. Well, now I'm going to stick into a spot. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 says, As you endure this divine discipline. Everyone say divine discipline. So where is this discipline from? God. If our heavenly Father disciplines His children, what do you think we should do? Just the thought. It's really, it's not, it's not rocket surgery. Uh, as you endure... The writer of Hebrews is telling this group of people, as you endure, because it's not always easy, right? We are enduring this divine discipline. Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Wrap your brain around that. God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? <laughs> Well, evidently, somebody that doesn't live in this time and century, this place, right? You haven't been around here very long. It's a rhetorical question. The writer doesn't actually expect 
you to answer back, he asked the question, who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? That's a ridiculous idea. Who ever heard of a child that's not disciplined by, by their father? What, what father cares? The, the writer here, let's get in his mind for just a second. The writer is saying, what father cares so little about his own children that he refuses to do his best to instruct and guide his children toward the most successful life they could possibly have. That's unthinkable. Who, what father doesn't discipline his children? That's ridiculous. Other places in Scripture, we see that even a heathen, an unbelieving, uh, an unbeliever, a faithless father knows how to give good gifts to his children. Hmm. A guy that's a worthless piece of baloney does not, uh, does not abandon disciplining his children. Every man, every father disciplines his children. It's unthinkable for him to not discipline his children. So God disciplines his children. Do you see the weightiness of this as, as, as Christian fathers? We don't give it up. We don't try to pass it off to our wives. Well, it's your job. You're at home more than I do. It's your job because you're more spiritual than I am. Step up, dude! She whiz. Make sorry, lame excuses and then wonder why your kids are sorry and lame. <clears throat> it's good preaching. I don't know if I can find a verse for that. Anyway. <laughs> that is true. That is, just, that is true, Okay. You know, don't be a big wimp and then be mad that your son is a wimp, right, men? Uh, let's keep going here, Britt. You're kind of getting bogged down there. Uh, verse 8, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means... Okay, pay attention here. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means... So we need to be paying attention here. It means that you are illegitimate i got to tell you, that's a very condescending term in the, in the then and there. You're illegitimate. You don't have a father. It means that you're illegitimate and are not really his children at all. God disciplines those who belong to him because they're his children. We, fathers, we discipline our children because they belong to us. It's so simple, yet we get so tripped up on, on this whole thing of fatherhood. The test of fatherhood is simple. Hold on to your chairs. Do you discipline your children? Because if you don't discipline your children, you're not really their father. More than correcting them, more than the occasional grounding them or spanking them or taking away their PlayStation or whatever it is, more than the, the physical correction that you're involved in guiding their lives. Does that make sense? A father that loves their children sits down with their kids and says, let's talk about this, let's talk about it. One of the One of the greatest parents that I have known is a guy named uh, Rick Grimes. Uh, I didn't plan on telling this story, so I'll have to call him now and say, hey, I talked about you on, in my sermon this morning. Uh, Rick Grimes, he had a biological children and he had bio, uh, uh, adopted children. And I remember him correcting one of his biological or one of his uh, foster kids or uh, 
adopted children. And he, he was just, he, I remember them sitting on the front row of the church and something had happened in the youth group that was not good. There was some drama going on in the youth group. And so instead of uh, Rick making a big issue out of those kids are terrible and, and we should shun them and you know, put them out of the church and their families and tell everybody how bad they are, Rick sits down on the front row and I see him having a heart-to-heart conversation with his adopted kids and his biological kids and he's saying, what can we learn from this? And he instructed them and he said, what is the right thing and, and what, where do we go from here and how can you avoid making that same mistake? We're not going to throw that other person under the bus. We're going to learn from their mistake. How can we avoid making that mistake and how are we going to love them and how are we going to move forward? And he was just pastoring them. He was loving his children. And I just thought to myself, if, if that was my kids and I was in that situation, I'd tell them, you ever do that, I'll bust you in the head. And so I took, a, I took a lesson from Rick Grimes because he just was very pastoral and, and he loved his kids enough to give, take time to give them instruction. I appreciate that. It helped me as a dad. I mean, I was a long way away from having kids then. <laughs> Woo! Lord have mercy had I had kids back then. My poor kids. Yeah. All right. So verse 9. There was some tie in there. I don't remember what it was. So we're going to go forward. Uh, chapter 12, verse 9. Here we go. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us. I want to pause there again because fathers, here we are in this society where we have been diminished, where your contribution is the first two or three minutes right before conception. You know what I'm talking about. And then you're really, really not needed anymore. You are worthless. You're no good. And you, nobody cares. The fact of the matter is that God built into your psychology that the most worthless father is still respected by his kids. God did that. So it doesn't matter how horrible you are, your kids are still looking up to you. They're still expecting you to do something great. They're expecting you to do something fatherly. Something that would, that would reflect the glory of your creator and savior. That was good. Your kids respect you no matter how worthless society tells you you are or your spouse tells you you are or whoever. You with me? This is bad propaganda that we've given men. He says, since we respected our earthly fathers, because it's built into us, we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us. Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Again, he's asking this rhetorical question, which it just kind of we respond to it as, well, duh. Of course we should. Here's the short of it. If we trust that the discipline of an earthly father gains us earthly life, you know, a good earthly father teaches us to, you know, fish and hunt, play baseball, work hard. I mean, all the things that an earthly father does. I'm not diminishing those things. Those things are great. But a father invests in us, and he, he teaches us and trains us to have a rich earthly life. How much more should we trust the discipline of the father of our spirits? When God speaks into us. Okay, Brent, so what is the point? Um, how does this affect me as a father? Watch, watch, watch. Verse 10, here we go. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. Children, just know that your dads are doing the very best they know how. And we fail 
Uh, well, pretty often. Uh, be patient with us, okay? So we're trying our best. For our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a few years, and the previous verse tells us we, we respect them. They did their best. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His, what? Holiness. This is a big word in the New Testament. It's a big word in the Old Testament. God disciplines us not to be a better just a human being. He disciplines us so we will be a better reflection of His glory, of His holiness, of His character and His nature. He doesn't come into your life and discipline you so that you'll be a, a better employee. That's, that's part of it, but it's not the main point. He doesn't come and discipline your life so that you'll be just a better husband. He disciplines you so that your life will be set apart from mundane purposes to eternal purposes. And that way, when you live your life, you shine an eternal light to those around you, your spouse, your children, your fellow employees, the people you go to church with. That's magical. God did that because he's smart that way. God's discipline benefits us even more than our earthly father's discipline. Dads, God's discipline in your life leads to your holiness, to the holiness of God in your life. God, dads, you need God's holiness in your life because you are the one guiding the steps of the little feet in your life. Did you, did you hear me? You say, well, I'm going to let somebody else. This is why I go to a great church with a great pastor. That way I can abdicate spiritual leadership to him. I mean, he's a professional, right? That's why we pay him so much. And all the staff, we're paying them to be a good influence on our kids. That way I can go live like a heathen. Whose footsteps are your children going to follow in? They're going to follow in the steps of their father. They're going to look at their dad and say, well, why doesn't dad live like the pastor? Why doesn't dad live like the other men in the church? Why doesn't dad... Oh, man, that's a whole deep end of the pool. Let's stay away from that. You understand what I'm saying? They're not going to follow me. They're not going to follow the Sunday school teacher. The Sunday school teachers can invest God's word into them for 45 minutes, an hour on Sunday morning, but they're with you all the rest of the week. Man, I can't push against that. You, sir, are the primary influencer of your children. If you screw them up, it's on you. And Proverbs tells us that we have a window of opportunity of hope. No pressure, guys. Sorry. Y'all are taking notes, right? Because you need to communicate this to the men that are not here. All right. Verse 12. It'll be on the radio on Wednesday morning. Uh, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, uh, by the way, for any of you that are curious, that's been very successful. It's, uh, we, get, we get positive feedback about the radio program. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Everyone say amen. Yeah. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained. We're back to that word, that are trained in this way. Some key words there. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest. <sighs> 
I remember, for those that still have toddlers, you're, you're right in the middle of disciplining children. It's hard. It really is. But I, here's my encouragement. is discipline them, as, discipline them as toddlers. That way, when they become teenagers, you get to enjoy them much more. Okay? Don't wait until they're teenagers to discipline them because they're really, really hard. I remember when my kids were real little, and I would spank them and then cry. Because it's painful for them. And then, you know, I never, I never was the dad that said this hurts me more than it hurts you because I made sure that it hurt them more than it hurt me. But it did hurt me too. Uh, that's the truth. <laughs> but afterward, after you've gone through this discipline, then you have this harvest of peace where your children behave. And it's like a breath of fresh air in your home. And it's wonderful. And you enjoy your children. Is there anything wrong with that? The world says, don't train them, let them grow up like heathens, and then hate them later on. The Word of God is telling us, train them, point their little hearts towards Jesus, give them Scripture as best as you can, try to get them to be obedient to the Word of God and to you as an earthly father, and then enjoy them as they get older. I think my way is a better idea. I mean, the way of the Scripture is. A peaceful harvest of right living, whether you, are, uh, whether you are the one being disciplined or the one handing out the discipline, it's no fun. But because of discipline, because of discipline, there is hope for peace and there's hope for right living. If there's anything that we want as men for our children, we want them to live well going into the future. Right living. I don't care if they own a, house, a fancy house. I don't care if they own a fancy... My, my son already has a nicer truck than I do, so he's already surpassed me there. Uh, but what is more important is that my kids live right, that they live honoring God. Uh, I don't care about their material possessions, only enough that I have a good place to retire whenever that day comes, okay? I tell them, tell them get a nice house with a guest room because I'm coming to live with you whenever I get old. Uh, This is what God wants for us, and this is what we want for our children as well. We want to live in peace. We want a a peaceful harvest, and we want to live in righteousness. Verses 12 and 13. So, here's the, here, men, here we go. So, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet. So that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. That's what we want for our kids. I know as a dad, I have my moments where I come home. I'm tired of working, whatever I was doing. I'm frustrated, and I got to come home and, and deal with maybe a problem at the house, or there's been some tragedy, and my temptation is to slip into being angry and frustrated, but but. He tells us here in Hebrews, he says, take a new grip. I always think of golf grip because grip's important in golf, right? Get a new grip, adjust it. We're starting over again. Is it hard? I'm telling you. I have, we, we, we built a house, Diane and I. We have started a church together. We started a school together. We've raised two teenagers. And I'm telling you, out of all of that, out of all the things that I've done in my life, parenting is the most difficult. Being a father is the most difficult job on the planet because it's, it's, well, because it pushes up against my carnal flesh is the problem. <laughs> That's what it does. And so we have those moments where we just need, we got to refocus, get a new grip. What is important? 
What, is, what do I need to do right now? I'm tired. I'm, my hands are tired. I feel weak. I've been on my knees praying for my kids. It seems like everything is falling apart. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, he says, get a, get a grip. That would be Brent's translation. Get a grip. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path. Where are we going? We're headed for, for peace and right living so that your feet a new path for your feet, so that those who are weak and lame, all those little kids, all those little feet that are following us, those children that live in our home, they will become strong. That's what we want for our kids. Fathers, uh, don't get tired of receiving guidance from God. Because sometimes we have to be the one receiving discipline from God. Uh, I do all the time. Uh, don't stop giving guidance to your children because, the, because you're tired. Receiving God's guidance is imperative to you and I guiding the steps of our children. Are you with me there? Does that make sense? You have to receive some guidance from God so that you have godly guidance to give to your kids. Several years ago, I came across this poem. It's perfect for expressing the responsibility that we have of living in a way that leads to a blessed life for those who follow in our footsteps. And I put it in your bulletin. I actually have used this one time before, but it, it bears repeating uh, because it's been a long time. It's, uh, the, the, the poem is The Little Chap Who Follows Me. I picked it up out of a leadership book because he's just talking about how people tend to imitate what we do, not what we say. I mean, your kids will never listen to you, but they will do what you do, right? It's just God did that too. It's a little bit sadistic. Uh, but that's what God did. I wish my kids would just do what I say and not do what I do because sometimes they do things and I'm thinking, oh, that was terrible. And Diane says, yeah, it's just like you. Uh, where did they learn to say that? <laughs> you, Brent. Mm-hmm. He says, look at your bulletins with me because I, I want you to internalize this. This is, this is good. He says, a careful man I want to be. Fathers, a careful man I want to be. A little, fo- a little fellow follows me. I do not care to go astray for fear he'll go the self-same way. I cannot once escape his eyes. Whatever he sees me do, he tries. Like me, he says he's going to be the little chap who follows me. He thinks that I'm so very fine, believes in every word of mine. The base in me, he must not see the little chap who follows me. I must remember as I go through summer sun and winter snow, I'm building for the years to be the little chap who follows me. Every step you take is going to take your children in the same direction. Men, we have to mind our footsteps. We have to mind the guidance of God in our own lives so that we can pass that guidance on to our kids, not verbally, but by our actions. Our kids are going to follow the way we live a lot more than the way we talk. I came across this psalm this week, too, and I refused to edit things out of my notes, and so I put it in there, too. But you have David, and he's just kind of pouring his heart out to God. And I think that this is just a great picture of of a man who was a a great man, a a king, and then he pours his heart out to God. He says, Oh, Lord, you alone are my hope. This is a man who commands thousands of soldiers in an army. 
This is a man who has phenomenal riches and a whole bunch of wives. That's a whole other sermon. And he says, oh, Lord, you alone are my hope. I have no hope in all these other things. You alone. I've trusted you, oh, Lord, from childhood. David's faith began very small when he was very small. Yes, you have been with me from birth, from my mother's womb. You have cared for me. No wonder I am always praising you. My life is an example to many because you have been my strength and protection. That is why I can never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long. We are investing. We are training. We are pointing those little hearts in a direction. Mind how you train your child's heart because they will go that direction. David's heart turned towards God when he was a child, and he continued and became a man after God's own heart. Did he fail? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he failed. All those great patriarchs failed, but they still repent. They come back to God, and they say, I need you. My hope is in you. It's not in my great ability. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? It's good. It's not a parent's responsibility to have godly children. It is a parent's responsibility to make sure that their children have godly parents. You can't transform your child's heart. Only God can. But you can tend to your own heart. Let's bow our heads together. I want to pray for all the fathers. Men, I want you to know that I, re I appreciate you. I respect you. I want you to know that I understand that fatherhood is difficult. Uh, I can be patient with fathers because I, I've had my own fatherly failures. And so I just want to pray uh, for you today. Father... We love you, Lord. We thank you for the men of Desert Heights. We thank you for those, those men who are fathers, that are investing in the lives of their children, who are investing in the next generation of young men and are investing in the next generation of young ladies. Lord, I pray that as, as all of us go forward in our lives, in our, this, this task of being fathers, Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, I pray first that you would guide the hearts of our fathers, that you would train our hearts, that you would turn the hearts of fathers toward you and that they would love you and that they would give themselves to you, that they would put their trust in you and that they would live in obedience to you. Lord, give us wisdom to pass on to our children so that as they grow up, they will follow in our footsteps as we follow you. Lord, don't let it just be a bunch of words, but let them see your eternal life in the lives of our fathers. Lord, speak to the hearts of our men. Transform the hearts of our men. Set our lives in a direction so that our families can follow us, Lord, that you will be glorified and you will be honored and you will make us holy. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Bless the men. Bless our families today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.